Welcome to the Comfortable in Chaos Podcast. Podcast. Strangle your demons and let's go. Y'all need Jesus! All those fairy tales are full of shit. One more love song, I'll be sick. Yeah, I'm at a payphone. Man, welcome to the Comfortable and Chaos Podcast. I am your host, Eric Helberg, and we're talking about a simpler time when we're talking about payphones. And I really believe that everyone wants to slow their life down to a certain degree. If they find themselves embroiled in constant speed and activity, at a certain point, yeah, that's cool. You're trying to get somewhere. But when that is the redundancy of the day, and oftentimes you find yourself so scattered and... really just trying to catch your breath and wondering why am I doing this? That's where I believe that uh, maybe you need to explore your rationale for doing so. And were we actually designed to live that way? I don't think so. The ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus said, the things you really need are few. They are few. And they're also easy to come by. But the things you can imagine you need are infinite, never-ending. And you will never be satisfied. You heard me in a previous episode talking about trying to rope the wind. Rope the wind. It is impossible. What we need... Those items are actually few and easily attainable. Oftentimes, we already have them. That's where you focus more on what you have as opposed to you have not, because this world will present you an infinite array, as Epicurus said, of things for you to imagine that if you only had them or could partake in them, that your life would be better. Oftentimes, that is not the case. So as men, we all certainly want to be productive, but hyper-productivity, I liken it akin to, man, a galloping horse. And you can take one of the best damn quarter horses from Riodoso Downs that go screaming down that track, But if that track doesn't end, that horse is going to peter out, man. And oftentimes, if you take that approach, by the time that horse starts to kind of slow down, whether it's physical exhaustion and or, hell, it may have simply run out of track, has nowhere else to run, and or simply tires, horse looks back and Those important ones oftentimes are left back in the stable just watching. Not a good place to be. It all goes back to that search for meaning. We've delved into it 
probably 10 or 11 episodes, different aspects of it. But as men, we certainly want to be productive. We want to be viable. We all want to have purpose. A man without purpose is a dead man. It's just the way we were designed. God put Adam in the garden and said, hey, man, take hold. It is your domain, but you're here to work it. You're here to keep it in order, make sense of it. And then he piled on additional tasks for Adam as that was to go along. And so it's that quintessential search for meaning. And I believe it begins really, really early. And oftentimes it is um, wholly dependent on initially how it is that you are brought up. And these mindsets that we put into play, oftentimes uh, they stay with us a very, very long time. I mean, in a lot of ways, I believe life is circular. And going back to what Epicurus said, you make you can make that you can make that arc and then connect that arc and make that additional 180 degrees for full uh, circular motion as wide as you would like. But you're going to find yourself going back to the things, the simple things that brought you joy, brought you contentment, and. You will see those are actually the easiest to attain, as Epicurus said. Those are the actual finer things in life. Those are those innate things, those things we already possess inside of us that we can receive from our loved ones and also give back to them as opposed to anything in this world that you can purchase, acquire, hold, and then ultimately you consume and it's gone and or Damn, then you have to maintain it. That's a bummer, right? Another job for you? Well, for me coming up in that search for meaning, I would say you heard me say about growing up in a vacuum. And I didn't know where I belonged. How in the hell was I going to? My dad had passed. My mom was gone. It's just me. Um, I'm certainly not lamenting the fact I didn't have a nice roof over my head and and um, my mom certainly provided me money and money to get groceries and money to buy nice clothes. But um, I started realizing that life wasn't about all that. I was I was still alone. And so as I wove my way through life, um, I could relate to people, especially later on working in so many urban areas, cities. And, I mean, you can get into different populaces and demographics, and that may be the cultural norm, fatherless homes. But in those instances, what does a young man do? He wants to find quickly where he can belong. And so he may go bang on the streets, right? Okay, he's around other dudes. Um, very like orientation. They all understand. All right, they're together. For me, it was a little bit different. I mean, I was in the suburbs. I would see, um, like in Pee Wee Athletics, uh, guys um, with their dads. I didn't have mine. Um, like I said, my mom may have been at that time chasing some dudes and or working. So oftentimes it was these dads that brought me to uh, my little league practices or peewee or what we would call dad's club football. 
And um, I um, I know in looking back, a lot of them really went out of their way to, uh, to talk to me. And, uh, you know, they'd provide me rides. And uh, I would certainly listen that uh, that was lacking. And I didn't feel disenfranchised at that time. Um, I would just say it felt very different. It made you aware that you were different. And so that search for meaning, um, it started driving me. And But what I also, I guess, received from that And even to this day, to a certain extent, it left an indelible impact on my psyche. Was I had a chip on my shoulder against different people will call it different things. And it really depends on the setting. Um, Those kind of in the in crowd, you've heard, oh, the good old boy network, um, really a hierarchy of any kind, I kind of started driving toward tearing those systems and hierarchies down because I didn't feel like that since I didn't have a namesake or someone standing by me or for me, um, I had to show that I was either different and or better. And one of those ways that I was going to do that, if I didn't think I had a particular skill set and or a relationship that could help me, I knew if I could get in the mix or whatever that was, I could always certainly work just as hard as whoever that may be beside me and or in front of me. But more often than not, and I honestly believed it, whether I created it in my head or not, that I could do it better. And so I became a worker. And I remember at 16, at 16, I applied for this lifeguard job. And I think I was supposed to at least be 17. So I lied about my age. And then, in fact, uh, my manager, um, his name was Brad, and you're going to hear me do an episode about a Brad in a, in a different uh, industry coming coming real soon. But this guy's name was Brad, and he hired me to be a lifeguard at this pool. And it wasn't long, I'd say, man, within a few weeks, he had me running a second pool. So two pools and, and uh, lifeguarding at one. And then um, he had me switching pools and overseeing three pools all in the uh, time frame of a summer, and the lifeguards that ended up working for me were college kids coming back from the summer. And here I was, this young guy. But I think the reason I took to it was he gave me autonomy. So I was already self-focused, self-directed. I was going to follow task by task, make sure things were in order, pools were presentable. I damn sure wasn't going to let anyone drown and keep an eye on things. And plus, it kind of put me in a position of prominence. Young kids sitting on top of that lifeguard stand, man, I felt important, and I loved it. It was a perfect first job. I had swept some factory floors with with a neighbor's dad before that, but that was my first real job. 
and uh, I took every bit of that money, man, and uh, I would buy uh, I would buy parts, performance parts for my car. And so I, that was my first real job, and that really cemented itself in my mind. I liked the ability to be in charge, work for myself, and as you heard me saying in that beginning Maroon 5 song, um, where it says all those fairy tales, well, life certainly isn't a fairy tale, but you realize at some point in life that you may have to pull your own tail to get yourself in the right direction, or you will be pulled by the tail into the direction that others and or systems want to place you. And for me, I was not going to be pigeonholed into a position, into any system whereby I believe that I was equally as good and or if not better. At the same time, I never looked around and considered myself um, less than or that I didn't have the ability to move anywhere that I wanted. I was just very cognizant of the fact that I was alone. Now, as a youngster, could I have been smarter, found mentors, embraced them? I think yes. I think, I think that is possible. And I'm sure there would have been people willing to uh, pull me up close to their side and guide me along. But I had already put up that thick wall. It was kind of me against everyone else. And so I was resistant to doing that. I was going to show you. I was going to do it the hard way. And that is the path that I chose. So I recognize where I could have been smarter then. More specifically, what I was trying to say a couple of thoughts back was that I never found myself, you hear the word, jealous all the time. Um, I never found myself wanting what other people had. I believed that I could get that. Where it would chat my behind was that I thought if that person had not earned it and it had simply been provided for them because of proximity and or position and or relationship. So that's what would really rub me the wrong way. And I've heard Alex Hormozzi talk and, you know, he, of course, is, um, started off as a gym owner and a uh, pretty big uh, entrepreneur now, Persian and or Iranian descent. And he said he remembered in his journey that everyone seemed to be pulling for him up until when he kind of hit equilibrium. He had arrived, and but then he started to flourish. And that's where he saw the same sentiment that had kind of urged him along, and that motivated him to keep going forward. But once he got to a certain point, he came to the realization that, People don't mind you coming up, but oftentimes they can have a very difficult time with you leapfrogging them and then start to do better. And that's an interesting concept. I've never, I've never been fixated on anyone that I've seen doing well. 
I mean, hey, I'm I'm their cheerleader, man. If I hear about someone's success, if it was garnered in the right way, and I see people um, doing well by themselves, uh, making the world a better place, and certainly their families, man, I'm the first one to applaud. I know what that takes. Both my wife and I know what that takes. And in that same vein, I mean, I've, I've paid a little attention to Elon Musk just simply because we had a Tesla at one time. And um, I got the call from my wife when she was up in the woodland shopping for it. And, um, of course, she's a wheeler dealer. She calls me back, hey, Eric, hey, I want this Tesla. Um, but, you know, I worked a good deal. I said, of course, babe, I know you did. And so are you calling me to wire the money? And that's what she was calling for. And so I, I wired the money. And um, really, we, uh, we had that Tesla for a couple of years before it really became impractical. I never really dug it fast as all get out. But um, I was into more functional cars. And um, that same savvy wife you've heard me mention ended up selling it to a guy in Chino, California for probably... 2000 less dollars than what we had purchased it for two years before. Hey, great wash. No big deal. We learned about Tesla. In the course of that, I learned about Elon Musk. And I've heard him talk about in his factories in Fremont, California, which is the Bay Area and also one in Nevada, he would either sleep on a couch and or under his desk. And he did that just so all the personnel as they would be incoming and outgoing shifts could see him there because he had a glass office. They would see the skipper never leave the ship. And he said in that vein, they knew he was the hardest working man, not only in the room, but the factory, the organization. Therefore, why would they not push themselves further? And I'll talk more about that, especially when... I fell into running nursing homes, and I never left those facilities. I tried to inspire the same thing in my employees and those that work for me. Um, I always wanted to be there. A lot of it fear-generated. It's a litigious business. I didn't want anything to go wrong. But there were a lot of places whereby I jumped in and assisted, which most people never would have thought And when they saw that. Um, it kind of moved them along to go a little bit extra. But I tried a lot of things in that search for meaning. And I am going to do an entire episode on one. And that is <laughs> when I became a knife salesman and field sales manager and ultimately opened a branch office for Vector Marketing Corporation. Everyone knows Cutco Knives and I'm sure a generation of Aggies after uh, have rolled out of that office. and But that's something I tried and I did very well in, um, just simply because I wanted to do well and I wanted to set myself apart. That was around like when I was 19 or so. And then because I was still not really sure of my purpose, I knew I'd been given a lot of gifts by the good Lord. And one of them was physicality. Um, well, I didn't play football growing up. So one college that I attended was the University of Texas. And I walked on that team and I made it as a tailback and halfback. So here I was in the backfield with 
Darren Norris, All-American from Oceanside, California. Eric Metcalf, who went to NFL fame. Of course, was second in Heisman Trophy balloting that year, and his dad had had a good career in the NFL. And the crazy thing is, in the community where we live, our daughter ended up playing volleyball um, with the daughter of one of the linebackers, part of a pretty damn good linebacking core UT had back then. And and uh, that was Michael Padgett and Britt Hager, who went off to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And we had a chuckle about that, Mr. Padgett and I, but he hardly remembers me because I was in and out there in a flash. I jumped in, didn't even really give grades, and uh, um, the academic part of the collegiate experience, very much uh, concern. I was just trying to prove that I could be a man. And uh, so quick flash in the pan, made the team, promptly felled out of school. Hey, I'm moving on again. So we're still kicking the can. Thank God, though, I'm the one who's still kicking it. And I don't think my journey is anything um, out of the ordinary for a lot of men. And we're trying to realize what is it that we can do How can we contribute? Obviously, you want to have some self-sufficiency and that feeling of congruency in your soul. Now, we're trying to fill it oftentimes with the wrong things. That can't come from anything that we do, nothing of performance. We know that that comes from the Lord. But I wasn't there yet. I was still trying. And I wasn't sure what it is I wanted to do, um, what direction I was supposed to go. I just knew I was supposed to get out of high school, go to college, become rich. That was the message my mom had kind of ingrained with me with the lifestyle she lived away from our house with the types of boyfriends that she would try to uh, attach herself to. But for me, I knew that the Lord had bestowed a few gifts on me, the ability to work, the willingness to work, um, to be very strong, had a modicum of endurance, and I could talk. And so those were some of the things that were ruminating in my mind. And so for the essence of time, on this episode of the Comfortable and Chaos podcast, let's make this a series. This may become a three-part series with this episode being The Search for Meaning, Part 1. So until next time on the Comfortable and Chaos Podcast, I bid you bon voyage, my burgeoning flock. We will see you very quickly on Search for Meaning, Episode 2. Until next time, like and subscribe to the Comfortable in Chaos podcast.